So for you, those of you perhaps that are listening and watching via the internet this morning, we do welcome you and with our congregation, turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Now Jeff, I'm going to change this just a bit. Let's see. Not quite yet, but I will ask you at some point to go to uh, slide 11 to open and then we'll jump forward, okay? So you can be finding that. <clears throat> sir? Thank you, sir. Uh, the pastor, in his diligence to put all these together, made new slides and then copied them to his hard drive. So they're at home, resting comfortably, and we have, uh, I didn't finish the slides from last week, so we will pick up with those a little later on. We've been focused on a series of messages about uh, the confrontations of Christ. And the fact that we focus quite often this time of year on the babe in a manger, it's very easy to do that because we're surrounded with, with uh, scenes and with cards and with uh, programs that focus on the birth of Jesus Christ. And that, of course, the incarnation could not have happened without his birth, but he was born not to remain a baby, as all of us were. And as we have celebrated, or we have, uh, over the past few weeks, we've lighted the Advent candles this morning. We, we uh, excuse me, lit the candle that references peace. It's also known as the angel's candle. And what happened, of course, was that the angels pronounced the birth of the Son of God to shepherds, and there they said there would be peace on earth, and it represents to us not only peace, but the love of God. Now tonight we'll light all of the candles that are there on the um, table, and we will explain to you a little bit about each one. And the last one that we will light will be the center candle, which is the Christ candle. And that's the focus that we need to always be reminded of this morning. So if you would, uh, Jeff, put up slide 11. This is, this is where we are to date. And we were focusing on a series of messages on the controversial Christ uh, and four basic uh, headings. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the world interrupted, uh, the authority of Jesus, and uh, a number of different passages of Scripture there. Last Sunday morning, we started to look at the living words interrogation. In other words, why Jesus was here was to bolster the understanding of the truth of the Word of God. And we looked at Isaiah 40. In fact, we'll reference that at the close of the service this morning. And John chapter 5, the entire passage, although we, did, we focused primarily on verses 39 and 40. Let's read those again, if you would. There Jesus confronting the Jews says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So, uh, well, the next couple of Sundays we'll look at the Living Words Initiative, talk about salvation, the worship of the incarnate Christ, how we learn to worship. So remind you that the world was interrupted by the incarnate babe, the incarnate 
Jesus. He brought joy, but also peace to those that believe. And he also affects controversies in our, in our world today. And those controversies are the intolerance of tolerance towards authority. And a couple of weeks ago, we examined that in the passage there in Mark chapter 10. Uh, last Sunday, we started to look at the challenges of fidelity to the Word of God, to truth, within the church. And we focused on John 5 because the Jews, I mean, we think that the Jews was a, uh, a, a group of Sadducees, Pharisees, members of the Sanhedrin, and probably scribes that approached Jesus here in John chapter 5. And so we'll complete that this morning. Then we'll start to look at the loss of the centrality of Christ's cross in salvation. How important that is, that the cross is always foremost, even at Christmas time. And then the need to worship in spirit and truth, to live truth, not just believe truth. The devils believe truth. There's a difference. Living truth, believing truth. So we learned a couple of Sundays ago, and then last Sunday also, Christ exalted Scripture. He clearly asserted the divine, essential, and primary authority of the Bible. He scolded the Sadducees for their Old Testament ignorance. And they're negating God's power. And that's found in Matthew chapter 22 and 23. He similarly scolded the Pharisees because they elevated their traditions. Christmas is a tradition, so we need to be careful here. We, they elevated their traditions as equal to or superior to the Word of God. We'll talk about that in more detail here in just a minute. God the Son became incarnate because there was an urgent need for the world to be interrupted. The world gets almost everything wrong because of sin. And then the living words interrogation. That's what we see here in John 5. How else would sinners learn of their lostness and God's salvation? So there were four elements of this particular um, message on the living words interrogation. The first one was Christ's view of Scripture. And just to give you a summary from where we were last Sunday morning, Jesus understood that humans were utilized to write the Bible, and this didn't dissuade him from quoting the Bible. And I mentioned to you last Sunday, there, there's never been a book written devoid of male or female authorship. And the Bible is no different, at least from the 40 human authors that wrote it, with the exception that the Holy Spirit is its author and used these men not to dictate, but rather through their personalities to provide to us God's Word. Jesus was not afraid and believed that the Bible was authoritative and that the Bible contained truth. Second Peter, and we're not there yet, but in Second Peter chapter 1, Peter said, 
For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. God did not speak in ways that eliminated human personality. That's the dictation theory, and that, has, that's, that was pitched out hundreds of years ago. He didn't obliterate human personality, nor did those who wrote the Word of God corrupt it because they understood they were writing as directed by the Spirit of God. God spoke. Humans spoke. And neither truth distracts from the other. And Jesus accepted the validity of the Old Testament. And we find that here in John chapter 5. So the controversy here in this chapter, of course, is in verse 39 and 40, which we just read. Jesus, uh, the controversy he had with the Jews was not over their view of Scripture, but their use of Scripture. He actually commended them because they studied but he said, you are missing the message of Scripture because you are more uh, in, in, inclined to follow the meaning of Scripture. And we talked about uh, not making the Word of God uh, an idol. Now the second thing, that's the first thing, that uh, the Christ view of Scripture, we spent some time on. The second is the wrong use of Scripture. And Jesus says that here in this particular um, passage. He says, these things, these are the, they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. About 200 B.C., 200 years before the birth of Christ, the fathers of the Pharisees began to write their traditions down in a, in a collection of writings known as the Mishnah. A couple of weeks ago, we, or last week, we talked about this. The Mishnah was divided into six sections. And it included a number of things, uh, uh, the agriculture, festivals, marriage, civil ceremonial, ceremonial laws, and so forth. From the Mishnah, a commentary was written on the Mishnah called the Gemara. And the Gemara was used to, by the Pharisees to, uh, to hardwire those that would listen to them that their tradition, their elevation of tradition was far more important than the Word of God itself. Now, the Gemara gave, uh, gave uh, the reason they followed the Mishnah and the Gemara was because uh, about 100 B.C. the Targums were written. And this is the Aramaic translation of the Old Testament. The Septuagint is the Greek one. We've talked about all these words, preacher, preacher, what does this have to do with me? It has to do with the passage that we're, lo that we're looking at has to do with the passage in Mark 10 that we looked at. So in order to understand why Jesus is criticizing the Pharisees, you need to understand this, Pharisees and Sadducees, their devotion to these extra-biblical writings, they would lift passages out of context and they would write them and they would uh, spend time uh, trying to, to uh, dissect what the Old Testament said, but their devotion to these is known because the Targums teach us that they focused on the Word more than they did the living Word. So Jesus interrupted the Sadducees and Pharisees with his authority. He also interrupts you and I with his authority. That's part of his responsibility. 
Why did God become incarnate? So that he could interrupt the world and teach the world the only way to everlasting life. From all of this, when we talk about these things, when we talk about the, the Mishnah and the Jamara and the Targums and so forth, they would extract certain interpretations. And these interpretations would be called a Midrash. That's what Jesus is doing. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is taking what he knows from the Old Testament and he is providing to those that would lis listen a midrash, Hebrew word for basically complex parables that explain everyday life. Did Jesus teach with parables? Absolutely. So here we have the Jews, and remember now, what's happening is that a man that had uh, labored or had been uh, uh, infirmed for 30-some years is healed by Jesus in the first part of John chapter 5. And so the man is, is walking, he's leaping, he's praising God. The Jews interrupt him, and of course Jesus did this on the Sabbath so that he could, yeah, this is what I think of your tradition. The Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. And so this angered the Jews. They became so absorbed in the words that they neglected the truth of the words that they so fastidiously copied. We talked about this last week. They neglected the message of Scripture in lieu of its meaning. And the Word of God, only the Word of God for them was a gateway to eternal life. They believed if they could, if they could dissect the Word into the jots and the tittles and the syllables and so forth, that they would be guaranteed eternal life. That is not the purpose of the Word of God. Now, it's important to do that to understand it, but the purpose of that is to bring us to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ. So in doing all of this, when we talk about the, the Mishnah and the Jamara and the Targums and the, uh, and the uh, interpretation, the Midrashes that they would put together, in doing all of this, they got the scriptures wrong. So you can dissect it down to the very commas and still get it wrong. Because, notice what Jesus says in verse 39. You search the scriptures. And he commended them for doing that. For in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. And then, in searing words, he says, you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Look across the page to verse 45. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. Now, Jesus trusted Moses too. But he's pointing back to the fact that they misinterpreted the scriptures that Moses wrote. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. 
for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So they got the scriptures wrong. So we must be very careful that we learn how to get the scriptures right. And that would be, I think, slide 17, brother, if you will go to that. Let's look at the right use of Scripture. So these Jews at Bethesda had no heart's desire to study the Old Testament in search of Emmanuel. It was a, an academic exercise for them alone. They had studied as an end to itself. They were badly mistaken, and when we do this, we sin. So there is a right use of Scripture, and in the latter part of verse 39, Jesus says, they testify of me. So the world was interrupted by the living word who interrogated the Jews. They were interrogating. They asked questions, and in many cases, they asked good questions. But Jesus also turned the tables on them, and the purpose was to criticize them for their approach to the Word of God. So when we look at the Word here, we need to remember that Scripture bears witness to the Christ of Bethlehem so that humanity may find the Christ of Bethlehem. That is the purpose of the Word of God. Now the Jews, now this is again a group of individuals, Sadducees, Pharisees, Sanhedrin, scribes. They made two tragic mistakes. The first one is they studied the scriptures that bear witness to Christ, but they failed to see him in those very same scriptures. And this harkens all the way back to the book of Genesis. One of the reasons that people today discount especially the first 11 chapters of Genesis is because in Genesis 3 there's a promise made about the coming Messiah. So if we can eliminate all references to the Messiah, all references to Emmanuel, all references to the birth of Jesus Christ, all references to his growth into an adult and his teaching and his preaching, then we don't have to be concerned that he has authority and that he speaks truth. So they studied diligently these very same scriptures. And secondly, because they overlooked the many, passage which, many passages which reveal the Messiah, and they're myriad, they're well over several hundred, they didn't come to him for the eternal life that they craved. Now, they wanted eternal life. And if I ask you a question this morning, how many people here today, those that are listening via the Internet and so forth, those that, uh, that you meet, if you would ask them, would you desire eternal life? Most folks would say yes. But I'm going to craft the way to eternal life using my own thinking. That's what Jesus says in verse 40. And in them, or verse 39, and then you think you have eternal life. Now this wasn't unique to those Jews. It was also, unfortunately, unique to the disciples. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Jesus was constantly having to correct his disciples 
over their interpretation and approach to Scripture. And we find that all the way through the Gospels, and we even find it into the book of Acts. But look here at Luke's record here in Luke chapter 24. <clears throat> look at verse 25. These are two disciples, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. This is post-resurrection. Jesus has appeared to Peter, James, and John, and others. And now he is appearing to these two disciples. We're not sure who they are. Some say they were uh, John, Mark, and his brother. We, we certainly don't know. But he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Now these are disciples. These are not just the Jews of John 5. You guys aren't thinking straight. You guys have an exposure to the Scripture, but you've missed me, and that's what he said. Ought not the Christ who have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses. So he trusted Moses. Do you? Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, the law and the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going. He indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. They still don't know who this is. And it's not until he breaks bread with them. The latter part of verse 31 said, He vanished from their sight. Verse 32, They said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the Scriptures to us? That's what Jesus does. I was lost, now I'm found, because the Spirit of God in Jesus Christ opened the Scriptures. My prayer is that He's opened the Scriptures to you. He expounded to them all the Scriptures, the things concerning Himself. This would have been His birth. This would have been his teaching. This would have been his death and his resurrection. He is even more, it's even more obvious in the New Testament. The Gospels, the four that we have, three of them are called synoptics and then the Gospel of John. Gospels describe his virgin birth, his sinless life, his gracious words, his supernatural deeds, his sin-bearing death, his glorious resurrection and ascension. That's an understanding that is essential to the life of Jesus Christ. Next slide, if you would. The Acts describe the gift of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, where Peter preached, the same Peter that wrote First and Second Peter that we're going through on, uh, and we'll pick up probably sometime in January. And how the Spirit of God continued the ministry of Jesus Christ through the apostles. That's the reason for that particular book. And then the epistles, which start with the book of Romans and go all the way through the general epistles to the little epistle of Jude. The epistles display the extraordinary glory of the, of the God-man. They define for us in detail what Jesus did in ways the Gospels do not. That's why the Spirit of God gave us the epistles. Well, there's a lot of detail there, preacher. You think? His saving work, 
his coming kingdom and the subsequent judgment that he will perform. The revelation of Jesus Christ, written by John the Apostle. Lifts our eyes beyond the earth, lifts our eyes beyond the cosmic universe to Trinity's heaven, sharing God the Father's throne in majesty, in power, and eternal glory. A few, few weeks ago, Rob and I were out of town, and I had the opportunity to, to go to a, uh, a planetarium, actually uh, one that had a um, uh, telescope, pretty powerful telescope. And, of course, in order to, for telescopes to, to work efficiently, there's no heat in the planetarium. So you have to bundle up, and I did, uh, to go and, and, and view the skies. Now, it was a cold night, and the, the moon was full, so there was a lot of uh, what they call uh, uh, light pollution from the moon as it reflected the sun. But we saw a, a number of different things. We, we, I saw Saturn in a way that I've never seen it before. Saw Jupiter and the moons of Jupiter. We looked into to the depths of the Milky Way and all the way to Andromeda, which is the closest galaxy other than the Milky Way to us. So we had time to look at all of these things. And then I thought of these. I had already made these notes, and I thought of this, and I said, you know, we are looking... Believers look beyond the universe. There's a world apart from this universe. The Bible is filled to the brim with Christ. Every book, every chapter, every verse will ultimately lead us to the wonder of Christ alone who saves. So the purpose and truth of Scripture obviously is to testify to Christ so plainly and powerful that first we see Him and second that we believe in Him for life. So when we go through all of this, we understand in verse 40, Jesus would say, go back now to John chapter 5 and verse 40, he would say, you are not willing to come to me. See, there's a problem with our hearts. This is not an information problem. It may be an ignorance of the information or it may be an avoidance of the information and that's what Jesus is saying. You have all the information you need, but you have a moral problem. And that moral problem has darkened your heart and your soul. That he is, that we see him and that we believe in him for life. You are not willing. The word there can be trans translated refuse. You have refused to come to me that you may have life. If I come to Jesus, he's going to change my life. I'm not going to have any fun anymore. It's a moral problem. It's not a lack of information problem. It's not an academic problem. It's not a lack of education problem. It's a moral problem. You refuse to come to me that you may have 
life. John Stott said, the controlling factor in our behavior is not only our reason and our understanding, but our will. And that, dear friends, is a summation of what Jesus is teaching here to the Jews in John chapter 5. Next slide, if you would, brother. You see, their obstinance, their stubbornness would lead most of them, not all of them, but most of them, to participate in second death. So, yes, Jesus came to bring peace on the earth in some cases, but he also came to bring a sword. We looked at that, looked at that the first week. And this sword sometimes will cause a division between heaven and earth. The controlling factor in our behavior is not only our reason, but our will. So these Jews viewed the scripture academically. Academics. I could spend weeks on that not practically. You see, theology is not simply for ex expanding our knowledge, but it's to point to Calvary's cross. If it expands knowledge without us understanding the cross, then we are lost. That's the purpose for the virgin birth. And the Jews supposed that salvation lay in a book. And to suppose that a book alone can save is supposing that health lies in a prescription. If I take this prescription, my health will come back. No, prescriptions are not for our mental digestion. They're for our physical digestion. They can sit on the table or sit in the medicine cabinet for years and they will not do us one bit of good. The Bible, likewise, can sit on tables we can sit on our phones and not do us one bit of good. So the right use of Scripture is to use it to determine the incarnate Jesus Christ. And then finally this morning, the need for obedience to Scripture's truth. There's always an obedience factor. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 40. You are not willing. You don't want to obey. All manner of, of, of excuses that you offer up on those behalf, but you simply don't want to obey. I have several sets of binoculars at home. And in our travel, quite often we try to take the binoculars and, and you know, zero in on something that's... Uh, far away to try to make, uh, to focus so that we can see more clearly what is perhaps many, many hundreds of yards or even miles away. If I turn those binoculars around and I look through the large lenses into the small lenses, then things grow smaller. The purpose of binoculars is to enlarge what we're looking at purpose of the Bible is to enlarge Jesus Christ. 
If we turn that around, we will minimize, and that's exactly what the Sadducees did. We will minimize Scripture, minimize Christ, minimize the ordinances, and we will minimize church attendance because we're looking at Jesus incorrectly. These things are necessary for the magnification of Jesus Christ. I'll give you a few statistics here. This past year, Pew Research Center, uh, in surveying Americans, wrote this uh, just one sentence. It said, We have gone from 90% of Americans identifying as Christian in 1972. That was the year, by the way, that I met Robbie in the year that I surrendered to preach. So 51 years ago now. 90% in 1972. To 64% identifying as Christian in 2023. And of that 64%, uh, of those that are outside of that, 30% of the population now have no religious affiliation at all and are called the nuns. Basically, it's saying 30% are either diehard uh, agnostics or atheists in 50 years. And yet the Word of God has not changed. Now, unfortunately, the way we live our life may have changed. That has impacted how the Word impacts other people's lives. But the Word has not changed. Therefore, it's imperative that you and I understand the right use of truth and learn to be obedient to the truth. Three things here. When we look at the Jews' obstinance, their unwillingness to come to Christ in John chapter 5, three things. Number one, we need to avoid superstition. Now, the Bible is supernatural, but it is not superstitious. A Bible alone, having a Bible at home, having a Bible on the pulpit, having a Bible on your phone does not save. But some suppose if I've got Bibles at home, especially the one Granny gave me, dear old Granny, and it's on the coffee table. Having that there, and Granny was a great Christian, so every once in a while I look at it, I open it, look at the fly leaf, how wonderful that is. That's what the Jews did. That's sentimental, but making the Bible sentimental just adds to the superstition. Secondly, avoid reading the Bible or hearing the Bible read as an end to itself. Without our introduction to Jesus' interrogation from its pages, reading becomes superficial. The Bible is not to be read as a great piece of literature. In fact, that's probably, it's probably hard to find them now in some schools, through its reading and hearing, we are brought near to its favorite subject, which is Emmanuel, God with us. I remember being in grade school in the fifth grade. Some of you can identify with this as well. And the Gideons came to school, and they handed out New Testament. 
Does that happen now? No. We don't want to offend anybody. And believe me, the Bible is offensive. When God interrupts your world, it becomes offensive. Next slide. We are to avoid studying the Bible like the Jews in John 5. Are we to study the Bible? Absolutely. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Jesus commended them for studying, but he criticized them because of the way they studied. Yes, the Bible is fascinating, and ingesting it provides a plethora of knowledge, but that quickly devolves into pride. Yes, important to know it, to accumulate its timeless knowledge over our Christian lives, but the purpose is for God's children to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's his purpose. So let's summarize this. Indeed, we should possess the Bible. We should read it. We should hear it read. And we should study it. Jesus said, you think you have eternal life. Paul would later write that we know in whom we have believed. These are they which testify of me. Finally, because it interrogates our hearts and souls, we are to obey it. We're not to debate how to obey it. We are to obey it. We're to come to him for eternal life for the gracious and Christ-like living in this life. In verse 46 and 47, which we read just a few moments ago, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me. I trust that you believe Moses and you believe Jesus this morning because Moses wrote about him. Isaiah 40, that we read last Sunday morning when we opened, and verse 8 says, the word of our God stands forever doesn't matter what the Pew Research says. Yes, that's important to understand that there has been a, 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 a slide, a, an ignoring of the Word of God over the past 50, 51 years. And the fact is that it is more relevant in the church than it is outside the church. And that's sad. But the Word stands forever. One of the things Jesus asked his disciples the week that he was crucified is this. Will the Son of Man, nevertheless, will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when he returns? Now that's a start. That is a controversial statement. And that was made by God the Son. John Stott there is between Christ, who is the living word, and the scripture, who, which is the written word, a two-way testimony. Each bears witness to each other. Because Christ bears witness to scripture, we believe it. Because scripture bears witness to Christ, we receive him as Lord and Savior. 
And so, in these past two weeks, we have learned about the intolerance of tolerance toward authority, the world's interruption. And secondly, the challenges of fidelity to the Word of God, truth in the church. We must live it in order that others see Jesus through us. The living words, interrogation. If you're listening, say amen. amen. Close with this. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave. Christmas is a time for giving. Our family will meet together this evening and we will give gifts. And if you haven't bought my gift, you've got plenty of time to go out and buy it this afternoon. We're going to give gifts. Did I earn the gift? For God so loved, he gave. And Paul would write this in Romans 6. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Gifts are for, for receiving. From God we've received his mercy and his mercy forgiveness. But similar to the Magi who brought their gold, their frankincense, and their myrrh to give to a peasant family because God in his sovereignty, God the Father in his sovereignty determined that his son and Mary and Joseph needed a little extra dollars, if you please, because they were going to leave Bethlehem and go to Egypt. And so the gifts that were given by the Magi was an extraordinary demonstration of God the Father's grace toward God the Son. You ever thought of that? Extraordinary demonstration of God the Father's grace toward God the Son. to provide for him for the next couple of years probably before they return from Egypt to Nazareth. The triune God, this same triune God has given grace through the crucified babe to all that believe. We cannot earn this grace any more that we, than we earn any gift. And we don't deserve it. But you can receive his gift of grace. Would you believe the words of Moses? Because they are they which testify of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your son. We thank you for the purpose of the word. We thank you for the message that displays to us the marvel of Jesus Christ. The Word incarnate, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten, the monogenies of God. For God so loved, He gave. And teach us that wonderful truth. Teach us to be thankful because of that in a workaday world.
Have your sweet will, your divine way, the remainder of the service this morning. In Jesus' precious name, we make this prayer. Amen. So the world was interrupted in order that Jesus might interrogate. And through this interrogation, there's an initiative. And that initiative is that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. What a grand, grand scheme. If you're here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, we can't save you, but with an open Bible, we can lead you to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus, and you can leave here this morning with that blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. As we sing this morning, if you'd make your way out of the pew, we can take you to a private prayer room and lead you to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can know that the meaning of Scripture carries with it the message of Jesus Christ. What's necessary, uh, preacher? Well, Jesus has already done what's necessary. But we are responsible, and we're responsible to recognize that we're sinners before him, far worse than we could ever imagine, and that Jesus is a Savior far greater than we could ever imagine. Confess those sins, repent, call out to him, and receive Jesus Christ today. We receive gifts. That's what we do. As a child of God, the Lord may be leading you into the fellowship of this church. You know the Lord Jesus as Savior. Perhaps you need to follow him in believer's baptism. We encourage you to do that. Maybe unite by statement of faith, transfer of letter, whatever the Lord has laid on your heart as a believer today. Let's be, let's understand that Jesus came to interrogate not only the Jews, but his disciples. We're disciples. Sometimes we need interrogation. What number, Brother Vance? Eighty-five. Eighty-five. The Lord spoken, won't you come as we stand and sing? <laughs> 